Hi, I'm your host, Lillian. And I'm your host, Fakri, and you are listening to Food Nonfiction. Thank you for joining us for our fourth episode. We've just completed our first month of this podcast, and we really appreciate your support. This week, we are talking about two topics near and dear to my heart, Benjamin Franklin and cheese. As an American, I spent the better part of my time in grade school learning about our founding fathers, and few were as revered as the man who was known throughout the world as the first American. Whether we were studying his many science experiments, inventions, or words of wisdom, it seemed that Benjamin Franklin was a regular fixture of our education in the States beyond just history class. I don't want to imply that we were taught the man was perfect. American students know that he promoted and profited from slavery. It was only during the last 20 years of his life that he freed his own slaves and began attacking the system of slavery. Nonetheless, he remains a very important and well-loved figure in American history. So, I thought I had heard just about everything about him. Imagine my surprise when I learned that Benjamin Franklin is responsible for popularizing another thing near and dear to my heart. Cheese. Specifically, he helped to popularize Parmigiano-Reggiano, commonly known as Parmesan cheese, in the U.S., He told his friends about it. He gave the recipe to people. He was all around excited about this cheese. Put it this way, if there was social media back then, he would have tweeted about it and taken pictures of things with Parmesan cheese in it to post on Instagram. Part of the reason Benjamin Franklin became known as the first American was because he was a world traveler. He stayed in Europe for long periods of time as an ambassador and spokesman for American causes. Benjamin Franklin was a lot of things beyond being just an ambassador and spokesman. He was an author, politician, postmaster, scientist, inventor, activist, statesman, and diplomat. I grew up in the Canadian schooling system, so I didn't know about all these roles he had. What I learned in school was the famous kite experiment. On a stormy day, Benjamin Franklin flew a kite with a key tied to the string. Okay, this is all I remember from school, but since I've been doing some reading, I can tell you more. This kite experiment was done to prove that lightning was indeed electricity, because at that time, this was not a fact. It was something that people debated about. So the key on the string was attached to a Leyden jar, basically the capacitor of the time, and it was meant to store the electricity from the lightning. No one knows if Benjamin Franklin actually did the famous kite experiment, but some documents said he did it in 1752. A similar experiment was done in 1753 by the physicist George Wilhelm Rickman, who unfortunately was electrocuted to death during his version of the experiment. But enough side history. While traveling through Europe, Benjamin Franklin was curious to learn as much as he could from people along his way. He met with other scientists, politicians, and, perhaps surprisingly, farmers. In his lifetime, he popularized Parmesan cheese and introduced soybeans, tofu, and rhubarb to the colonies. Through his letters to family and friends, it was clear how much he loved food. And he was a bigger guy, too. Yeah? Yeah, you can definitely see it in portraits of him. He was a little pudgy. In his earlier life, Franklin was a vegetarian. 
He was frugal, and meals of mostly biscuits, raisins, boiled potatoes, and rice suited his thrifty and thoughtful nature. When about 16 years of age, I happened upon a book written by one Tryon, recommending a vegetable diet. I determined to go into it. Thomas Tryon was an author of self-help books and an advocate for vegetarianism. Teenage Benjamin Franklin had read Tryon's book, The Way to Health, which had been published in 1691, more than a decade before Benjamin Franklin was born. Refrain at all times from such foods as cannot be procured without violence and oppression, or know that all the inferior creatures when hurt do cry, and send forth the complaints to their maker or grand fountain whence they proceeded, who hunt them for your pleasure, and overwork them for your covetousness, and kill them for your gluttony, and set them to fight one with another till they die, and count it a sport and a pleasure to behold them worry one another. Thomas Tryon So by being a vegetarian, Franklin was trying to save money, but he also did it because he believed in the ideas of non-cruelty against animals. My refusing to eat flesh occasioned an inconveniency, and I was frequently chided for my singularity. I made myself acquainted with Tryon's manner of preparing some of his dishes, such as boiling potatoes or rice, making hasty pudding, and a few others, and then proposed to my brother that if he could give me, weekly, half the money he paid for my board, I would board myself. He instantly agreed to it, and I presently found that I could save half what he paid me. This was an additional fund for buying more books. Franklin wasn't a vegetarian for long, however. Within around two years, he was on a ship sailing from Boston to New York and found the smell of frying cod too delicious to ignore. He had to balance principle and inclination, and in the end, he reasoned that since fish eat other fish, he should be able to eat them as well. Hitherto, I had stuck to my resolution of not eating animal food, and on this occasion, I considered with my master Tryon the taking every fish as a kind of unprovoked murder. Since none of them had or could ever do us any injury that might justify the slaughter. All this seemed very reasonable, but I had formerly been a great lover of fish, and when this came hot out of the frying pan it smelt admirably well. I balanced some time between principle and inclination, till I recollected that, when the fish were opened I saw smaller fish taken out of their stomachs. Then thought I, if you eat one another, I don't see why we might eat you. So convenient a thing is it to be a reasonable creature, since it enables one to find or make reason for everything one has mind to do. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. That's a Benjamin Franklin quote. It's one of the most well-known food quotes, and Franklin certainly believed in it. In a letter to his wife, Deborah, he wrote, I wish you had sent me some. 
Newton Pippins would have been the most acceptable because he was particular about the kinds of apples he ate. There was another food he seemed to love more than apples, though, and that was Parmesan cheese. And for one, I confess that if I could find in any Italian travels a recipe for making Parmesan cheese, it would give me more satisfaction than a transcript of any inscription from any stone, whatever. That was in a letter from Benjamin Franklin to John Bartram in 1769. Four years after writing to John Bartram, Franklin received a letter from Dr. Leith, who gave Benjamin Franklin exactly what he wanted, a detailed explanation of how to make Parmesan cheese. In the show notes for this episode at foodnonfiction.com, we put in a link to the transcript of the letter, so you can read exactly how Parmesan cheese was made at the time. Benjamin Franklin later sent that recipe to friends in America because he wanted to increase its popularity and production. He and Thomas Jefferson had a mutual love of the cheese and were known to share it at meals when possible. In our research, we found that Franklin, Jefferson, and Washington were all foodies. Yeah, so we may do follow-up episodes on the food adventures of Jefferson and Washington if we get feedback from you, our listeners, that you're interested. So what makes a cheese Parmesan cheese? In his book, Cheese Primer, considered by some people to be the cheese Bible, award-winning cheese expert Stephen Jenkins explains, Characteristics of Parmigiano-Reggiano include a burnished golden rind. The cheese has a slightly salty flavor. When it is a young cheese, 18 months, it has a yellowish-white interior. When it is aged two years... It has more of a splintery, straw-colored interior. The most expensive versions are aged three or four years. At the older ages, it will have tiny white, crystalline specks. An average-sized wheel is big and heavy, weighing 66 pounds or 30 kilograms. It is considered a lower-fat cheese as it's made with partially skimmed milk, so has a fat content ranging from 28 to 32%. And by the way, here's a tip for the cheese and wine lovers out there. Parmesan is best paired with Italian red wines. There are actually strict laws in Italy that specify when and where certain cheeses can be made. What? Why? It can only be made between mid-April and mid-November in order to ensure the cattle have eaten the zone's fresh grass. Parmesan cheese is one of the most heavily regulated in Italy. By law, each wheel can't weigh more than 88 pounds or 40 kilograms. The European Union, EU, regulates a long list of cheeses under the DOP status. DOP stands for Protected Designation of Origin. Parmesan cheese is one of these cheeses that have to come from a specific place. Parmesan cheese has to be made from cow milk and come from specific provinces. It's like how champagne is only real champagne if it's made from grapes grown in the Champagne region of France. We visited the Benton Brothers Fine Cheese Shop in Vancouver, British Columbia, and they were kind enough to tell us a little bit more about Parmesan cheese. Please tell me um, about Parmesan cheeses in general. What makes a cheese Parmesan? Uh, Well, traditionally, um, Parmesan is the Italian version is Parmigiano Reggiano, and that literally just refers to the two regions in. Uh, in Italy, in which it's from, 
uh, Parmigiano refers to Parma, mm -hmm. and Reggiano refers to Emilio Romagna. Um, pardon my pronunciation, I don't know if I have those perfect. Um, so it was just a style of cheese from those two regions. Um, the original actually was made with a specific breed of cow um, from the region of Parma, um, Vacche Rosse, which, or Vacche Rosso, I think it is, which actually just means red cow, and it was a native cow to that region. Um, you can scarcely find still that, uh, that type of Parmesan. Uh, scarcely, though. <laughs> Great. Uh, what distinguishes Parmesan from other hard cheeses? Um, just the Parmesan, the, the traditional Parmigiano Reggiano from Italy has to be made with um, raw milk, unpasteurized, mm -hmm. uh, and then has a minimum aging. So with any raw milk cheese from a specific region, um, you're basically going to get the qualities of the, the terroir, essentially, the, the grasses that the cows feed on, the type of animal that the milk is taken from, um, the natural bacterias that are in that milk due to the environment and the breed of the animal. Um, and that's the way basically any, any raw milk traditional cheese works. Uh, it depends on the, the aging and where it's from and what kind of animal and uh, what kind of cheese cave or cellar it's aged in. Those are, those are what makes cheese. <laughs> Great. Um, can you tell me what dishes pair best with Parmesan cheeses? Uh, well, everyone knows sort of the classic uses for Parmesan cheese, grated over pastas and salads and things like that. Um, if you're getting a good high-quality Parmesan, like Reggiano or the Vaccheroso, um, Vaccherose, I think it's actually pronounced, uh, those are excellent eating cheeses. People often overlook that. Um, the proper pair for uh, like an Amarone wine would actually be um, Parmigiano Reggiano um, or with aged balsamic. Um, it makes a great table cheese as well. Great. Uh, I'm trying to remember all the questions. Um, can you tell me what sort of flavors one can expect when eating uh, traditional Parmesan? Let's Tra start with that. Traditionally aged Parmesan, which is going to be two years plus. Um, you can expect to get uh, a nice sort of hazelnutty character out of it, mm -hmm. um, a touch of sweetness from the natural sugars that sort of concentrate as it ages. Um, you get uh, a little bit of uh, a sharp spicy note, but more overwhelmingly that sort of sweet hazelnutty character. Um, and how can one tell the difference between uh, besides packaging, between uh, cheese in North America, uh, Parmesan cheese made in North America versus? Generally, the domestically produced Parmesan is um, it's more styled after sort of large production, <coughs> large production uh, for grated Parmesan, prepackaged Parmesan products, um, stuff that's going to be put on top of uh, pizzas and just lower cost products. Um, it, it just doesn't have anywhere the intensity of the flavor. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have that, uh, that sort of crunchy crystallization you get from the aging process, which only comes after about a year and a half or more of aging. Um, and it'll always just call, if you look at the package, it'll always just say Parmesan. Uh, it can't say Parmigiano-Reggiano unless it's actually certified from the correct area in Italy and aged the correct amount of time. There is another Italian Parmesan. Uh, that you will find for a little bit less than the Reggiano, which is Grana Padano. It's it's a nice cheese as well, um, just a little less um, rigorous in its certification and a little less aged, so you don't quite get all the notes that you get out of the proper two-year-old or more Parmigiano Reggiano. Great. 
Any fun facts that we should tell our listeners about for Parmesan? Uh, fun little facts. Um, Parmesan is one of the cheeses you see the most uh, crystallization in. You see the little white specks that give you the little crunchy texture. Uh, a lot of people think that's uh, salt crystals. It's actually uh, by the made by the milk protein, casein. As it ages, it starts to sort of cluster back uh, together and form little crystals. Uh, so you get a really nice little natural textural difference. Uh, Great. That's free. Lactose free? Lactose free. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to double check my questions. Sure. Make sure I didn't forget any dishes, major differences, fun facts, flavors. Yeah, we got it. Yeah, that's enough for you. All right. Okay. Historically, Parma was a center of commerce that usually sold the cheese. Nowadays, Reggio, Parma, and Modena remain the only complete provinces approved to make this cheese. Certain parts of other regions, like neighboring Lombardy, are also allowed to make Parmesan cheese. Benjamin Franklin so loved Parmesan cheese that he tried to incorporate it in many dishes. He also had quite the sweet tooth, which is why there's a Parmesan cheesecake recipe in the Benjamin Franklin Book of Recipes. We couldn't confirm if he wrote the recipe, but it is certainly from his time period. And we even went through the trouble of making the Parmesan cheesecake. It's very sweet. Also, it comes with a sauce made of sour cream that helps to tone down the sweetness. If you want to see pictures of the cheesecake, we will be posting pictures and the recipe on Facebook and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Food Nonfiction. We'll also post a recipe written by Benjamin Franklin's own hand. It's a recipe for something called milk punch. Warning, it's boozy and will take some time to make. It's super cool. You see his curly handwriting and everything. We'll also make sure to get you the transcript of the recipe so that it's readable and a modern version of the recipe so it's doable. So to summarize the episode, Benjamin Franklin was briefly a vegetarian and he loved Parmesan cheese. We know that there are many interesting stories about Benjamin Franklin and food, but we didn't have time to cover everything. So please, if you have any cool tidbits on the topic, write into us at feedback at foodnonfiction.com. We will personally reply to you within the week. All right, friends and food buffs. That's the loving name we've come up with for you, the listeners of Food Nonfiction. Listen to us next week and don't forget to write in to feedback at foodnonfiction.com and subscribe to us at foodnonfiction.com.